What's going on? It's another episode of 699 per pound podcast. We're back at it again. We have a full house today. A lot of cookies, a lot of leftovers from the festive holiday, you know what I'm saying? Situations that happen. I'm not going to disclose specifically what day today is, just so y'all could have this long lasting, timeless experience, you know what I mean? But yo, we have another illustrious special guest today so today we have an amazing friend and sister christy mack on the podcast so one word comes to mind when i think of k mack and it is ferocious like a tiger why she's one of the most determined what? and optimized <laughs> what individual you, okay all right let me let okay, me finish now, yeah, you, you could keep going can yeah. you let me finish of course of course <laughs> Of course. This is our dynamic, Christy. This, we I can love fix it. this. I love it. Um, she's one of the most determined and optimized individual I've ever met. And even though we're pretty much close in age, I see her as a big sister. I first met her at the Cosmos Retreat in Seattle, and I kind of gave a shout out of that during Justin Chun episode. Mm. It was basically um, Asian American women coming together, and we were kind of the few New Yorkers in the house, so we instantly mm. bonded. Okay. And Christy is a slasher herself, working as a brand strategist by day for startup and blue chip companies but pouring her soul into this amazing magazine slash media company called slanted she's co-founder cco editor-in-chief it's her baby a, a media company that celebrates asian american identity through personal storytelling i think our podcast aims to do kind of the same thing so i'm really really excited to dive into all of this today and with that said and understood let's give a warm welcome to christy mack to the 699 per pound podcast yes yes welcome christy yes, welcome. welcome to 699 per Thanks pound for podcast me. no of course and thank you for waiting um it was beyond our control to get here it today. was new york city the f train was fucking running out of control it's um, okay fuck the mta that's how it is here um, <laughs> i mean mta I, I love the mta but it's just yo like there's just certain moments where just it just makes it me want to choke you. them. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, it tests wow. you. Yeah. I know it's beyond their control, considering that it's a 24-hour train system that they don't really always have the time to like manage and run things and fix things. Mm-hmm. But I think about man. that. But then I grew up in LA where we didn't have like any sort of public transit, so I feel grateful once in a while for the MTA. Oh here. no! Since she mentioned that she's from Cali, yes, right? yeah. I think I think y'all kind of have um, your Californians. They tend to have a type of energy that. I feel like ca- Californians tend to have a type of energy that's um, much more induced with photosynthesis. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, a lot brighter. Mm-hmm. Um, higher tone in voice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, tends to be more Who's optimistic. That? Are you I talking feel about like. me? <laughs> um, we are solar powered. Sometimes it's a little overwhelming for me as a New Yorker. Um, I but, am the sun, I, I think, really. I, th- I think maybe in your in your in your ideal, but so on that note, um, you know, considering that you're from California, mm-hmm. um, and this is a great opportunity to rep six two six because yes, JK. What, what is sixty sixty two? Can you please six two six nine zero nine? That's a very specific yes, kind of can culture. Can you break it down in, for us? It's like what you is know, 60, what sixty what six nine what? All right, six two six. 
<laughs> like Boba, Ding Taifung, oh, okay. uh, Arcadia, Diamond Bar. I'm from Diamond Bar. Gotcha. JoJo's from Arcadia. That's like some real Better Luck Tomorrow type shit? Basically. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think Sunny Hills was school in Better Luck Tomorrow. Oh. I think. There's some music video, right? 626. It's like, um... It, why the Fung Bros or something like that? Yeah, there might be. And there's like all the stereotypes of like the rice rockets and like... Um, you know ABGs, right? All the ABGs You know are the Boba Gangsters? Asia, Asia, Asian, Asian baby, baby girls? girls. Yeah, yeah. that's where we... That's where they With originated. With the Elizangas and the UFO pants. And the spider eyelashes. And the UFO pants. <laughs> oh, word. Yeah. Nah, you're too young for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, but, so like uh, our schools were like 60 to 70% Asian. Like never saw myself as a minority. Mm. And then coming to New York and I was like, oh shit, there's more than Asian people. Mm-hmm. So it's a very different bubble. Mm-hmm. The 626 yeah. is representative of a bubble right. here in Southern California. Right, right, right. So how, how was what was that lifestyle like? Like what 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 does your high school culture entail? Um, I did. So I was telling JoJo actually on my flight back from California. I landed yesterday. Um, mm. I was listening to the behind the counter episode, okay. and I was like literally cheering on the plane because everything <laughs> JoJo was saying was exactly how my high school yep. experience was. Like which was all the stereotypes were flipped. So mm. like. You know, everyone was a marching band. If you weren't a marching band, you weren't you cool. You weren't cool. Um, you oh, were in every it. extracurricular. You Everyone took honors and AP classes. So if you were not in honors and AP, you were considered like a fucking nerd or like a... Like a Just like a, a loser. loser. Like a loser? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, like a loser. What the fuck? Yeah, it was bonkers. And then, like, people were getting really competitive, like, when oh, yeah. com- um, college acceptances came out. Um, people wore, like, their college sweaters around campus, even though we were, like, in high school. Um, what if everyone was like you know you were proud to have like six six classes seven classes or even eight like you take class at community college to like get ahead mm-hmm. every kid was in Kumon SAT school so you yeah. were all like stunned on each other like y'all got mad electives already out of the yeah. way yeah basically no, AP totally. credits. yeah so then by the time like for oh, I was such a nerd in you high guys school you fucking herbs yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like by the time I got to high school senior year um, my second semester I only had four classes because I had finished everything Like before that. All right. And so I got to leave at lunch and I was like, this is the life. This is exactly Mm -hmm. what I worked hard for. Or I thought at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was going to say, you, you know, grew up in 66. You get into Berkeley and then you go to PWC. You're like the perfect. What is PWC? Price it's a big four, um, a big four management consulting company. So I took okay. like the very traditional like Asian American career path, like yeah. right after college. Like she's the daughter that like the moms will brag about. You know what oh, I mean? In the neighborhood. Yeah. Okay. You know, like in Korean, there's like omchintal, yeah, like yeah, omachimutal. Yeah. You give me, yeah. me a lot of credit for that. Oh but. no, yeah. but seriously, I was like, she's like, because that's that's kind of the goal, right? A lot of UC kids or a lot of kids who go to like the good schools, they okay. want to get into the big four. For for PABC, it's like one of the four so they were like kpmg ernst and young i know kpmg ernst and young okay. pwc and deloitte okay i heard about i heard about all three except for the one that you just mentioned pwc it mm-hmm. used to be called price waterhouse coopers okay, okay um but like i so at cal or berkeley like if you were at the business school every kid was expected to go down the path of a b or c uh. it's like accounting banking or consulting mm-hmm. like all the really hardcore kids abc is going to abc yeah they went to banking Like, all mm-hmm. the really, like, all the tech bros today like, right. were former finance bros. Right. And that was, like, the banking route. Yeah, right, of course. And I still the... see those guys popping bottles occasionally. Not as <laughs> exactly. much as they did before, but... <laughs> yeah, after the, yeah, after the crash, yeah. yeah. And then you had the other kids who, like, were like, all right, not really math-inclined, so I'm not going to go into banking, but I'll go into consulting instead, which is, like, the catch-all for, like, most of the Asian-American kids coming okay. out of the business school. And then you had accounting, which was, like, the really stable... Of course, yeah. Stable one. But so, most of us went into one of those three. So, like, when you go into consulting, 
consulting. Like, what are you consulting? You don't know shit. You just exactly. got out of college. Exactly, you don't know shit. They said like, he's you like had no fresh fucking experience, like running a business. So what the fuck are you consulting? I asked myself the same question, <laughs> and I literally lasted for eleven months because I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. The project I was on was right after the mortgage crisis, so I was like helping these big banks. Like, basically, oh, no. like, try to cover mm. up what they did. And I, like, didn't feel right about it. And I was like, I didn't go to school to do this kind of shit. Um, and I was thinking, like, maybe I can go into something creative. I don't know what I'm consulting on anyway. Um, and so I left after 11 months. So you're telling me this whole fucking industry of consulting is bullshit. I mean, off the record, yes. On the record, yes. <laughs> that's fucking, yo, that's kind of tight. I should be a consultant. <laughs> yeah. You can be a consultant for anything. I, I mean, yo, that's kind of, yo, but I, it's one I, of those I feel like I could kill it. All the consultant friends that I know, like at our age now, like before going into college, it's like you get to travel, yeah. you get paid good money. Like I was on status for all my flights, like, yeah. you know, the first right. boarding group or like hotel points. Like that was super glam. And I have a friend who's still in consulting, the same starting class as me. She's been traveling nonstop for the past five years. And now she like hates it. Right. Because yeah. no, she just lives in a hotel. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like that George Clooney movie. Exactly. Up in the air. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. Damn, that sucks. So. Up until PwC, mm-hmm. I feel like you're kind of this poster child for, you know, the 626 <laughs> upbringing, um, kind of tunnel vision of, like, the conventional thing of success. What, mm-hmm. I mean, you told us a little bit about Pivot, but what gave you kind of the courage to do that? Because what I noticed with a lot of my friends in, like, finance and consulting is that they get so stuck in it mm-hmm. because they're in the echo chamber of people who kind of validate their like lifestyle and work. It's like, oh, like, you know, you make a lot of money, so you kind of justify it through that. You know how sometimes like money is like the biggest distraction yeah. to your truest goal and truest dreams? Because you're like, well, there's stability and there's money. You know, maybe I can just kind of stick this out and also compounded by the fact that we have Asian parents. That's who, I mean, the Asian American culture element is like a big reason why. So did you kind of go through those you know, trans- how was that transition like? You know, did you get an earful from your mom being like, why are you leaving this perfect situation? Like- oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, I was telling someone earlier today, like, I was actually pre-law in college. Oh. Um, growing up, my mom was like, you love to argue? You should be a lawyer. Because <laughs> <laughs> she knew I wasn't going to go to med school, um, which is fine. I, I like, squ- I'm squeamish when I see blood. Mm. Um, but I was pre-law in college, and I actually rushed a pre-law fraternity. And oh. I was pledging, and a week in, I was like, fuck this shit. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be a lawyer. Like, this isn't the kind of life I want to live. So my mom was like, the next best thing is go to business school. Mm. And so I applied for the undergrad business program at Berkeley. Um, and I got in a year later than most people did because I applied late. And, like, through that, I started to see, like, a whole other side of, like, career stuff. Yeah. But I think, like, you're in an echo chamber, right? Like, you're at a school with all these overachieving Asian Americans who mm-hmm. come from these feeder schools all around um, California. And we're all trained to think the same way, mm-hmm. to, like, want the same jobs and to go to the same job fairs, talk about the same experiences, join the same extracurriculars. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it wasn't until I started working in the real world that I was like, this is all a sham. Yeah. Like, Word. Yeah, I was like, none of us seem happy. Like, we're living for a happy hour. Like, mm-hmm. we, we get excited just, like, to go get drinks after work because, and complain about our jobs. Like, this isn't, this isn't right. None <laughs> of us are really asking the question of, like, why are we doing this? Yeah. And, like, what really makes us happy? And I think growing up as an Asian American, you're not really taught to think about that, right? It's like mm. our parents came to this country. They it's sacrificed selfish. everything. Yeah. And, like, I didn't realize how much of that was actually dominating my thoughts mm-hmm. um, and, like, my decisions. I think it was very subconscious. Yeah. Um, but then I started to feel myself, like, not being able to get out of bed. I was yeah. like, I really don't want to go to work in the morning. Like, 
I was dating someone at the time, and he was also at the same company, actually. And he would have to, like, cajole me out of bed because I was crying. And I was like, I don't want to go to work. Like, I don't feel valued. I don't feel seen. I'm just a number in this, like, giant machine. Right. Um, and I was like, maybe I need to quit. But it was terrifying. And I was like, right. you know, being Asian American, I was like, I can't just quit. Like, well, how am I going to pay for rent? I can't tell my mom that. Right. And so I was, like, looking for jobs um, in the, quote, quote, creative field. And, you know, me being, like... I thought at the time, I was like, oh, I'm so arrogant. Like, I went to Berkeley. Like, I got a good degree. I'm sure anyone would hire me. Google can hire me. Right. And I wanted to work in, like, the marketing department at Google. Because right. I was like, that seems creative. I went to a, a pretty decent school. But it's school. still, like, safe, you know? It's safe. It's, you know, like, it's like marketing, marketing respected right. tech company. Yeah. Right. yeah. Mm -hmm. And then my friends who worked at Google were friendly enough to, like, introduce me to a recruiter. Right. And the recruiters, like, gave me the courtesy of, like, interviewing me. But I got shot down by all these tech companies. Right. And well, I, why is that? They were like... Honey, that's sweet that like you want to work here and you went to a good school, but like you have no relevant experience. Mm. Right. They're mm -hmm. like, you're fresh out of school. Like, what do you really know? Right. Like, you didn't major in anything that we would find useful. Right. They're like, go work somewhere else, a smaller company, and maybe come back in a few years. And right. I was like, I had to eat a huge slice of humble pie. Right. And that was like really good for me because I was like, all right, I need to sit and really fucking think about what I want to do. Right. Um, and so through friends, I found like a job at a really small agency, like an ad agency, mm -hmm. and I worked in strategy. And I was like, this seems like a nice pivot, a nice safe choice to like learn some shit and right. then maybe move somewhere bigger. Um, and I was living in San Francisco at the time, and it was great. Like I met all these really amazing people at this right. small agency. Like I learned what strategy really was. Yeah. So what is strategy at a brand, like a brand agency? So I was actually in an ad agency at the time. And right. so strategy there was understanding consumers, like right. understanding people behaviors. And I was like, that's really cool, like understanding like why people buy. No, it's like psychology. Right. It's like psychology. Um, but the light turned on when I was at a client meeting and they brought over these brand documents. Right. And the documents were basically saying like what a brand stands for. Right. Right. So like Nike is all about like winning. Right. And mm. I'm like, who came up with that idea? Like who came up with the tagline and like the colors and all of that? And they're like, oh, our branding agency. And I was like, oh, shit. Mm. Someone gets paid to do this. Mm. Um, and at the same time, I was thinking about leaving because I was starting to feel stale at my company. Um, and I started looking into jobs in San Francisco, and I, I kind of believe in the idea that like things happen for a reason at their own time. And so at the same time, I was like, I'm getting bored of San Francisco. We're just doing brunch every weekend. We're not really doing anything different. I'm not really meeting any creatives. I want to do a career pivot. And I couldn't find any decent branding jobs in San Francisco. Um, and someone was like, why don't you check out New York City? Like, there might be some stuff out there. There's, like, a lot of creative energy there that's not present in San Francisco at the moment. And so, like, I literally had a coffee chat with someone, like, right before her work started. And she was like, oh, we're not hiring an SF, but we are in New York. Like, maybe you can chat with HR. Wow. Mm. And then literally, like, through my other job, I, like, flew out to, to New York because our agency's also in New York City. And during my lunch hour, I, like, went to go interview. On the sneak. Okay. Yeah, a little bit. Uh -huh. uh, it was lunch hour. It's okay. Um, I went to go interview, and, like, literally that weekend, they gave me an offer. And they are wow. like, can you move here next week? Mm. And I was like, maybe not next week, but maybe in a month. Uh, yeah. And, like, all of that shit happened from, like, interview to moving, That's like, one month. Happens. And, like, now I'm here. Right. So, like. How long you been out here? I just hit four years. Okay. Yeah. Nice. But, like, I had no idea, but I think deep down inside, I've always wanted to do something creative. Like, we joke about Asian parents being, like, really strict and all being about the grades, but I have a very distinct memory of my mom driving me to Diamond Bar High School. Um, and she was like, I want to sign you up for a graphic design class. Mm. And I was like, why? 
And she's like, you love art so much. And I was I was doing drawings, like pencil yeah. drawings right, right, and charcoal right. and stuff and painting. And I was like, I want to do that. I don't want to do computer graphics. What is this? And she's like, trust me, one day you're going to want to do this. Mm. And I was like, you're silly. Like, don't. I, I'd rather do other things. And, like, I still think about that moment because, right. like, my whole life could have been different. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and then I went to college. She bought me a MacBook, which was more expensive than a regular, like, PC. Right. But she was like, there's really good, like, creative software that could be on this. So I think like deep down, she also believed that I could do this, Uh. but the safe route obviously was like to go into something traditional. That's tight. Yeah. My mom like forced me to take these piano lessons that's like useless (laughs) right now. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yo, I I told you to just buy me a turntable. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah, but anyways. um, see. And the thing is, like, it it probably is weird for you, JK, because you grew up in Queens and stuff, Mm. but to someone growing up in like the 626 or whatever mm. or the west coast coming to new york is mm. like not possible like it's such a dream or it's everyone kind of talks about doing it but there's only few people that actually do it because right. it just seems like another country right yeah i was gonna say like so to actually directly answer your initial question yeah how did my mom react so yeah. i made three pivots in that last story right so i went from pwc to an ad agency and then moving to new york The pivot to the ad agency was really scary because when I finally, I only told my mom after I got the job because as a good Asian kid, I can't be like, I got no job. So (laughs) when I told her I got the ad agency job, she, the first thing she said was, how are their benefits? Mm -hmm. Because she was like, you're moving from a really prestigious big company, takes care of you, you got a 401k, you have healthcare, like, why would you leave? Mm. And, you know, she didn't really understand. I think a lot of immigrant parents don't understand that like their kids aren't living and making a life like just for security purposes, right? Mm. Like, we we are looking for fulfillment. We're looking for happiness. Um, so she didn't understand it. But when I told her how miserable I was and that, like, just to trust that, like, I wasn't going to switch unless I really believed in it, um, that's, I think, when she started to become more empathetic and was like, okay, let's see what happens. And I told her, I was like, if it fails, I can always go back to a big company. Mm. And I told her that recently, too, mm-hmm. uh, when I was telling her about, like, trying to invest more in, like, my side project. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but when you decided to move to New York, was she, like, super sad? My mom was so sad when I moved to New York. Yeah, I think she, I think my mom was sad. Yeah, it's and, not like you're not, like, in a different country. Like, I mean, my mom was sad. Um, I told her, I was like, I'll be gone for three to five years. Don't worry about it, I'll be back. Mm-hmm. And I just hit four, and, like, literally, every time I get on the phone with her, she's like, Where are you coming so back? So, it's uh, already been over three years. Like, <laughs> when are you coming home? Yeah. And, like, I just spent Thanksgiving with her. I never go back for Thanksgiving because it's mm. such a short trip. Um... But I went back this year because of family stuff, and like I almost cried at the airport, and like that never oh. happens. Oh my god! Um, but I was like, "Fuck!" I really liked being home, like suburban Target, eighty-five C oh Bakery, my god. Boba every day, yes. and just like being with my mom and realizing like how much she's aged. Right, yeah. right. Also, like that's something I think a lot of my friends and I have started to notice recently. But that's like anybody around our age is like, yeah. you know, is like the un- inevitable fact that our parents are going to pass away. Yeah. In the yeah. next twenty to thirty years. Yeah. I know it feels more real now, right. though, honestly, yeah. right? But that's the thing you don't really notice it when you see them often, but when you're seeing them like months at a time, mm-hmm. you really. It's like a frame by frame, like they're just visibly older or right. something. Yeah. Or new health complication comes up that you didn't notice before. Totally. It's um, it's funny though, like I mean 
even though we talk about like our generation trying to break away from like tradition and like pursuing things we love, like at the end of the day, like we're still very much tied back to traditional Asian American yeah. values. That I, I mean, I find that yeah, it's the case. I, I fucks with my traditional values heavily. Yeah. It's just that um, I think there are certain approaches in life, like you said, that um, we find fulfillment in other things compared mm-hmm. to what they found a f- fulfillment. You know? yeah. And also, like, just the political, economic climate is just vastly different from when they were oh my God, coming yeah. up. You know what I mean? Yeah. This thing, like, the 80s and 90s was just everybody was making, like, mad cash and shit. Like, mm-hmm. we're all in debt. We're all, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's just um, the payment systems itself is changing. Yeah. It's a very different world now. Yeah, for sure. So, um, as a SoCal person living in, like, mm-hmm. New York, like, what does that what does that mean for you and I guess like you could kind of chime in on that as well mm-hmm. I always make fun of you <laughs> I didn't know what a bodega was People, oh yeah I definitely yeah. didn't know what a bodega was yeah um, a down jacket I didn't know what that was my heaviest okay. jacket growing up was like a leather jacket yeah it's like a light leather jacket yeah, yeah. like right. one for fashion and not for function mm. no not okay. at all yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know living in New York to me represents like creativity mm. I think be just because I didn't have that in San Francisco, and I love SF so much, I'll probably move back eventually, but I just met, like, it's just, like, a hotbed of, like, amazing creatives in this city. Mm. Um, when I first that moved... That are broke. <laughs> that are broke, yeah, but they're all, they're all like, dr- driven by passion. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first moved here, I was, I thought everyone was here for the rat race. I thought everyone was here for money. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I started meeting coworkers who had all these, like, side projects happening. Um, like, one of my old coworkers, she has, like, a talk show on a podcast, or on a radio show. Um, she used to write speeches for Hillary Clinton. What? She did food reviews on The Village Voice, and then she writes for The Pit. She writes comedy at The Pit. And she worked at that job I was at. Oh and God. I was like, how the hell do you sleep? Mm-hmm. And she was like, I just love what I do. And I started to find out that so many people were doing shit like this. Um, so I started like an investigative like blog that was like Secret Life of New Yorkers, where I would basically interview people who were living these like different lives, like the slashes you talked yes. about. Right. Like I met a guy who worked in tech, but also did like Cirque du Soleil acrobats. Mm. That's tight. Wow. Yeah. Or like you know um, a management consultant who like also does graphic design on the side and like travels and does amazing travel journals. Like. I started to meet people like that, and I realized I was doing that because I was trying to find what I was passionate about. Mm. And I never had that like desire to find that when I was living back in California. Mm. You know, that's interesting because like whenever I talk to people like outside of New York or outside of New York City, because you know, as a slash person myself, mm-hmm. you know, like I be hosting weddings on the side, and then I also co-own like a store, and then I'm doing this podcast, and I'm yeah. ah whatever, whatever rapping. But, but then like I realized like. Yo, like people outside of New York, they they just do one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's not saying everybody, but like I just don't find that as often yeah. in places outside of you the know, New York. The energy is just very yeah. different. Yeah. What do you think about this city that allows where that forces people to do so much shit? Is it because that we just so broke <laughs> that we just gotta constantly hustle? Is that what it <laughs> yeah. is? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I also think it's like it's slightly self-selecting. Um, there's also so much stimuli here. Like, my first two years here, like, all I wanted to do was explore. And maybe, it, again, self-selecting. Like, maybe I'm just that kind of person. Um, and then you just gravitate towards people who are like that. Mm. And then you just, like, vibe off each other's energy. And you're like, fuck, you have a podcast? Like, that sounds cool. Maybe I'll mm-hmm. start a podcast. Yeah. Or, like, shit, you own a sneaker store? Like, maybe I should, like, start my own store for something. Mm. Like, yeah. I don't know. There's just something very inspiring, I think, about that. Yeah. Um, 
versus, and also it, maybe it's the cold, maybe it's the fact that like everyone's broke and they need to do multiple things. I think living in other places could be a little bit more comfortable. Like yeah. everything here is just slightly more difficult. Yes. Like getting your laundry, going to buy groceries. Trader Joe's has a guy whose only job is to hold a sign that says end of the line. Mm-hmm. Right. I've never seen that before. Yeah. No. Oh, that's, Ugh, that's tragic. It requires a little bit more grit, I think, to live out here. Totally. Right. Um, and I was talking to our mutual friend, Inga. She's amazing. Um, we met her. Why do you th- think everybody's amazing? You know? I, I don't, actually. <laughs> I'm looking She's at a, an amazing person right now. Okay. I'm kidding. Right. I love you. Um, but I was talking to Inga. It was amazing. It's true. Uh, she, she We met her through the cosmos as well. Um, she is currently working at Spotify and mm. doing personalization. She's a PM. Very, like, kind of traditional tech successful job, Mm -hmm. but she also has a passion for tea on the side. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of talking about the slasher thing in New York, and she mentioned that what I notice about these people who pull off these things successfully, because she's trying to think of it as well, is that they just have the audacity, you know? It's Mm -hmm. like they, it's almost, how do you have the audacity to think that you can do all of this, right? But New York is just filled with people like that who don't see limits, who don't see these fences. And that was something I had to recondition myself moving to New York because in California, growing up where everyone looked like me, mm-hmm. did the same thing as me, I put fences on myself all the time. Yeah. Because I was living up to everyone's expectations. But here, no one has any expectations of you. That's <laughs> and you kind of get to decide. Mm. Yeah. So I think it really is just, you know, I call you ferocious because I r- truly think you're so audacious and you have all these dreams and all these things that you want to do. And you can you say it with so much conviction that I believe you. It's <laughs> like, you know, like when you meet people and you're like, oh, okay, good luck. Like, okay. Like, you want to be a rapper? Okay. You know? I think <laughs> or that's partially like that, because I grew up with a single mom. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I was only also only around strong female figures in my life yeah and my mom would always be like at the end of the day you just have yourself and your sister so be nice (laughs) to her um but like you have to really be able to make it on your own and so i think as like protective as she is like seeing her raise two girls by her little girls by herself like even though again subconsciously right like that shit sticks with you um at the end of the day the only person that i feel bad about disappointing is her Mm -hmm. the only the person i want to like impress the most is her um, but seeing like a strong female figure like that makes me want to do that mm. and like to make her proud. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Got you. So on that note of like having multiple hustles, one of the side or I guess one of your main projects right now mm-hmm. is running a magazine called Slanted. Yeah. Is this is this is this is this said as slanted or slant? Slanted. Slanted is right. Okay, got you. I have to give a shout out to my sister. She came up with that name. Oh, okay, yeah. got you. So is it like, uh, is it slanted eyes? Like, did you kind of get that from that? Or also yeah. like a culmination of other things that kind of encompasses that adjective for this yeah. magazine? So, so slanted the name, the origin of that is really interesting because we came up with all these names. Um, mm. Some were too cutesy. A lot of them were about food. Yeah, there's um, a lot of Asian magazines. It was um, I mean, Banana. Well, yeah, shout out to, you know, Vicky and Kathleen. Yeah, there's uh, like Mochi Mag, right? Mochi, Yolk. Back in the day, there Mm -hmm. used to be Yolk. And there's no denying that Asians love food. So like, obviously, like that came up as one of them. But I tried to push my team to think about like, if we, what kind of brand do we want to be? You know, Mm. as a brand strategist, I was like, what do we want to stand for? Mm -hmm. Like, what kind of stories do we want to focus on? Um, And we were like, we want it to be bold. We want it to be provocative. We want people to have another view of what it means to be Asian American. Like, what's our take on that? And so people were throwing out, spitballing all these names. And my sister actually came up with slanted with an E. Mm. And she was like, wouldn't it be cool if we, like, reclaimed that term? Mm. Mm -hmm. And I stuck it on a post-it on a wall in my apartment when everyone was over uh, brainstorming. And half the team 
was really turned off by that name. Mm-hmm. They were like, I don't, I don't know. I feel really uncomfortable with that. Like, there's a magazine actually called Slant, right? Uh, the Slant is actually an email newsletter. It's a newsletter. Oh, mm-hmm. and we're great. We like we love them. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right, right. They came out the same time as we did, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so half the team hated that name, and the mm. other half loved it. Mm. And I challenged the people who hate it to think about why. And mm. I was like, why does it make you feel uncomfortable? And I think that's some kind of something we want to foster with the stories that we have. It's like making you rethink certain things about your identity, about certain traditions that you have, um, putting our take or our slant on yeah. what it means to be Asian American. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just like that term is like so nasty. Like people not Asian use it to blanket yeah. us as one big monolith and we're not. So like how can we add dimension to it? How can we diversify that and show that there's like so many bad Asians yes. or like badass Asians um, who are doing cool things, have amazing stories to share. And we don't focus on celebrities or like really accomplished, and I put that in air quotes, like Asian Americans. We focus on everyday Asians because like myself, like I had a pretty traditional upbringing, but I have my own story to share. So right. I'm pretty sure like you have a great story. Jojo has a great story. Sophia, everyone has a great story, but maybe no one's given them a platform to share that. Right. And that's how Slanted came to be. Yeah. Got you. No, I remember seeing the hashtag bad Asian and they kind of tracing back to Slanted and your story kind of is reminiscent of Justin's story about Gook, how he really wanted to reclaim that term mm-hmm. of Gook. Actually, it, it links to nation in Korean mm-hmm. and and even John Chu with yellow, when you yeah. use yellow, I think there's this new generation of people who are kind of trying to reclaim it and mm-hmm. take back the power. But can you also tell us just the origin story about you and Kat and how Slanted came to be? Yeah. So let's see. I'll rewind it because it starts actually in New York City. Yeah. So for those who don't know, my co-founder, Katarina or Kat, uh, she's actually based in Denver. So we have a long distance co-founder relationship. <laughs> um but the reason why we met is because our mutual friend Jacqueline used to live in New York City. And Jacqueline now lives in Denver, so she introduced us. Um, but before Slanted actually happened, Jacqueline and I, in the first two years of my time in New York, we were like, let's go to every fucking event there possibly is. There was one called the Food Book Fair um, out in Brooklyn that's hosted every year. We went super excited thinking, Asians love food. They must have, like, amazing... Some dumplings yeah, or noodles or dumplings, something. Dumplings, noodles, or really amazing print magazines or books about Asian American culture. We got there, and there's not a single one. Mm-hmm. Right. And we were like, how is this possible? Like, how is it possible that in a city as diverse as New York that you don't have Asian representation as a thing that we probably all love around, like, food? Yeah. Um, so we got really upset. We, like, went to a tea house afterwards, and we're just venting about, like, fuck it, we can start our own thing. Like, let's mm. just start our own, our own blog or, like, maybe our own, like, magazine. And the idea kind of faded away. But we were like, however, it'd be kind of nice to, like, sit around with a group of people and just, like, shoot the shit about being Asian. And so we started a Facebook group as like a support network, um, support group called Project Boat. Mm. And it was basically our friends and friends of friends, like all over it's the pretty US. Big now. Yeah, to just like come sit in on this Facebook group and like share articles that we've seen on the internet about being Asian American, ask each other the hard questions that we're too embarrassed to ask other people. Such as? Like, um, what do I do about, like, I'm dating a white guy and I'm trying mm. to introduce him to certain things on my culture. I send him articles and he won't read them. Like, how do I get him to, like, be more open-minded about, like, me being Taiwanese-American? Or, like, I want to invite him home, but I'm embarrassed that, like, he may not you know, do those customs that we do, like, pouring tea for each other, or serving like my parents first. Taking your shoes off and shit. Or, yeah, taking your shoes off, you know, the using the dishwasher. barbarians, man. Why, 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 why <laughs> you walk into the crib with, like, their shoes and shit? Yeah. They be kissing dogs and shit. Yeah, you know or... <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't get that, yo. Yeah, or, like, things like... Um, I encountered something really fucking racist today, like... You know, someone kunichiwa'd me on the street. Like, how do I respond to that? Oh, that's to not that? even, like, 
This is just regular shit. Yeah, you know, but everyone experiences it differently, right? right? The lived experiences. So it was just a place for us to, like, safely talk about this stuff. And then, so fast forward a few months later, Kat, my co-founder, at the not at the time, but she was visiting New York City. Her family's from here. And we met up for coffee because Jacqueline was like, I think you two would really hit it off. She's looking for people to interview for her project that she's working on. And so we're sitting there and we vibe really well. It's like a two-hour chat. And I was like, hey, I'll invite you to Project Boat. Like, it sounds like you're interested in Asian American issues. Like, maybe you can, like, read cool stuff, meet new people. And she was, like, creepily lurking on Project Boat for a few months after Mm -hmm. that. And she posted, like, an open source Google form and was like, if anyone's interested in writing stories about Asian American identity or culture, like, drop your name and some ideas in here. And that spreadsheet, like, filled up really quick. That's, like, one of the most Asian American shit to do. Like, having a <laughs> Start spreadsheet. Start a Google Doc. Starting no, a Google Doc. You know what I'm saying? Self-selecting. Wow, totally. okay. All right, all right. And so then she, I, was, I started Project Boat, right? So she reached out to me and was like, hey, I know this is crazy and we just met. But do you want to start a magazine? But call me, maybe. But call me, maybe, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, fuck it, why not? I was looking for a passion project, and I, I didn't really think it was going to snowball into this. But at the time, I wanted somewhere to channel my creative energy. Mm. And all my friends that we had these initial conversations with were in New York City. And they also wanted a place to channel their creative energy. So we were like, let's just do it. Yeah. So we literally, and now you had accountability And as we had well. accountability. We met on a video chat to like hash, hash out what we wanted this to be. We did a brainstorm in my apartment with post-its and Chinese takeout. And then, yeah, now we have a magazine turned media company. Wow. Yeah. No, that's amazing. Um, as somebody who worked in media and actually started like a media platform at one point in my life, um, I know like any business, like running a media company and running with different egos and different characters is not easy. But what the thing with media companies, especially nowadays, is that there's not like a physical product that you're selling and you're getting some sort of a, a return of investment on, you know, like oftentimes content is so considered like so accessible that people don't feel the need to like Pay compensate mm-hmm. people who create the content were actually for that itself. Um, I mean, you're talking like in a time when, you know, Hollywood blockbusters that cost a couple hundred million dollars to make, people just want to download that shit for free, mm-hmm. you know? So like in this type of climate and um, what made you wanted to start this and like of course like anything could start off with passion but after like there's no sort of like monetary return in Mm -hmm. this capitalistic world that we live in it kind of burns you out after a certain point right i mean and there were other like uh magazines that came before you guys like audrey yoke Mm -hmm. giant robot i mean hyphen went to digital Mm -hmm. only yeah Yeah. i mean there was all these magazines that uh, korean i used to write for them you know when i I was a writer they're back core asian media yeah Mm -hmm. i I don't know i don't know because because i feel like they didn't know how to run their shit even though i was writing for them but uh, (laughs) i mean so i actually interned there at the office at the granada office and it was james calling hustling every single day he was like a one-man band trying to get sponsors and he was trying to run these like two print businesses and right, right, right. I remember when that LA Times article came out it, it was really sad but it kind of made sense you know yeah. of, like nah, this was not to, sustainable shout out to all those guys mm-hmm. but uh, yeah so on that note like what made you want it to how like, do you reverse history uh, yeah, yeah how do you like you know learn from the past and grow into the future mm-hmm. and um what conviction made you want to just like let's just do this shit I mean you have a business background you studied or you consulted for businesses. <laughs> so, like, what made you want to do this, basically? And then, like, aside from your passion and aside from, like, meeting, you know, these new friends that just kind of put you in that zone. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I can start off with like the easy question of like why we decided to make this more than just a magazine. So we threw, it obviously started as a passion project and a place for everyone to just like throw their energy into. Right. We thought it was going to be something that like our friends and family would just back for us. But when we launched a Kickstarter and it got funded in 32 hours, we we're like, oh shit, we might mm -hmm. be onto something. Um, it was actually physically being in our space with like 300 plus people, which was at our launch party. So actually JoJo was there. I was there. Had no idea <laughs> she was there. Um, but just seeing the community come together, like people who weren't just Asian American either, like allies, people who like believed in what it was, like other immigrants sitting in a space together and just being really happy to celebrate something they've never seen before. Right. And mind you, yeah, you're right. A lot of magazines have come before us, but like... I don't know. We're, I think we're something a little bit different. Um, it's also an interesting time for this to happen. I think we've been craving, like, real stories from real people. We've been craving authenticity. Um, in time when, like, fake news is all over the place. Like, people also just want a space to express themselves, like, more so than before, I believe. Maybe I'm naive because I'm a little younger, maybe. But I don't know. I mean, if we wanted it and we had stories to share, there must be other people who wanted to do the same thing. Mm. Um, but I think what really pushed us, though, was we went to an entrepreneurship boot camp. So you mentioned I have a business background, and I think my co-founder and I are both big nerds, and I think that actually helps because we're always looking to learn, and we're trying to always improve and to grow. And so we're like, fucking throw it at us. Like, she comes from a tech background, so she's not afraid to fail. I'm more risk averse than she is, actually. Um, but I have the business background. So I'm like, all right, practically speaking, like, what do we need to do? So we went to this boot camp and we had a bunch of mentors. We had like pitch coaches who basically pushed us and tested us on our business plan. And then they were like, if you want this to be something, you got to fucking sit down and think about how you're going to make this happen. Mm -hmm. right. um, and that was really sobering for us, too. Yeah. We were running off of this like naive thought that it was just going to be passion. And they were like, nope. How are you going to monetize? Right. How are you going to build a following? How are you going right. to get beyond New York City? Right. Um, and I think what will help us stand out as a media company is the content, right? So the content in issue one is really great because it's very relatable. And anyone who it's titled Beginnings. So it's like about your origin story, like first time you saw, you experienced something, you saw something, you realized you're Asian American. It was like really welcoming and inclusive. Right. Um, but one of our mentors was like, so are you a magazine by Asian Americans or for Asian Americans? Mm. Because they're two very different things. Yeah. And you could be either one of those. But what you choose what to be... What is the difference? I mean, by Asian Americans is just like a nice place for anyone to share their story, which is great. I think it's important to have right. stories written by that community. Right. But to be for Asian Americans mean you stand for something. Like you're fighting for something bigger. Mm. Um, and can we, you be both? You can be both, and that's right. what we are. Right. Um, but I think we want to put our foot forward more on the for us, mm. so for Asian Americans. So y'all fubu, for us bias? <laughs> basically, the Asian okay. American version. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so no, he basically said, if you want to be for Asian Americans, then push your fucking content. Like, it needs to be edgier. You want to be bold, you want to be provocative? Don't talk about origin stories. Like, maybe don't even focus on just what it means to be Asian American. Like, it's told by Asian Americans, but it could be on topics that are way more taboo. Could it be about sex? Could it be about mental health? Like, it doesn't mm. have to be just about being Asian-American, yeah. but it's told from an Asian-American perspective. Um, and that really challenged us when we started issue two to think about, like, what kind of stories do we want to focus on? What kind of Asian-Americans do we want to highlight? You know, we used to highlight, like, not just anyone, but people that we were inspired by. But we still do that. But you got to, like, really stand for something. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. And where did bad Asians come from? Because that's kind of, like, the thing that puts you guys on the map, I think. Uh, that term was uh, came up uh, from one of our team members, Lena. Mm -hmm. um, she was like, "What? What is what bonds all of us here in this room?" And we were like, "Well, we all kind of broke a little bit from convention, and or we're thinking about it." And we joked about how like some people never felt Asian enough. 
some people felt too Asian. Um, and so we're like, what's a nice term for that? And we're like, bad Asians. Like, it'd be great to showcase people who, like, went into the food industry, you know, went to become mm-hmm. a chef or is like a DJ, you know, mm-hmm. or is an acrobat by night. Like doing really cool shit, breaking away from being a lawyer, banker, consultant, um, away from being a doctor. Um, so that's where that term came from. Now, my question for that is by describing it or labeling it as bad, aren't you also like being a proponent that these are occupations that existed for age by Asian Americans before you labeled it as bad? What do you mean? Well, uh, it's like kind of like it's out of normalcy so what, unconventional what, what, yeah what it means is that like there were DJs oh for sure uh, they were artists they were painters they were you know musicians that were of Asian Americans uh, that just did it not mm-hmm. because they were trying to break a mold it was just normal for them to do it mm-hmm. um, but obviously like the bigger scope of things and maybe certain pockets of Asian American society might have deemed that as bad but for certain people it was always normal mm-hmm. I don't so like, when you're I describing think- it as bad that kind of it just kind of like, you know, it makes it makes it seem as if like it wasn't normal before. You, you see, does I that, mean, does I would that argue that it probably wasn't normal it for the majority of the Asian American right. community. Okay. Yeah. All right. Because I think for I'm just you I'm know, not, bad, I'm not no, disagreeing. No, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm not disagreeing with you. But you also think just, about where you grew up. Right. And think about your personal experience. I'm and not disagreeing with you. I'm just throwing it out there. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We definitely have gotten flack about that hashtag. Yeah. There were some people that we wanted to feature that were like, I don't believe in this shit because... Why is that? Well, they were just like, I don't like that you're calling like what I do like a bad thing. The reason why we actually wanted to do them as like features, they're more like profile features right. of people, is because we think there's something really powerful about seeing people who are doing things differently than right. what you're used to or that what you're used to seeing your community doing. Like growing up in the 626-909, I definitely didn't see a lot of people like going into be professional chefs right. or being DJs. Mm. Like if I had seen more of those or more people in like film, in the arts, like maybe I would have done a, a different path. Like maybe I would have broken away from like, maybe I didn't go to Berkeley. Maybe I'd go to a very liberal arts college. Like I think seeing people who look like you do different things than what you're used to is very powerful. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So I don't think it negates what people have done in the past. I think it's great because it, people hopefully are paying homage to those people who fucking paved the way before. Right. Right. right? right. Like other DJs, other chefs, other artists. Yeah. So certain people have issues about the terminology of bad. Is mm-hmm. that is that what you're saying? Yeah. Like what kind of like arguments were they making about it? I'm trying to remember. It was like really long ago. Um I think just basically saying, like, we don't want to perpetuate the idea that these occupations aren't, like, worthy or they're not, like, Mm. standard. Um, So kind of to your initial clarification question, right? right? It's like, who are you to say or who is slanted to say that this kind of occupation is good versus bad? Right. And I I mean, I think that's... that's, Yeah. But I I interpret it as in, like, you guys weren't saying it was bad. Mm -hmm. You were acknowledging that society thinks, quote-unquote, it's bad because we're not playing by the white rules Mm -hmm. of what you're supposed to do. You know, on the Times cover, it's all lawyers, doctors. Uh, I mean, those are great occupations and blah, blah, blah. It's a model minority. I love lawyers, yeah. Yeah, I know (laughs) you do. My brother's a lawyer, so I gotta respect that. But it's just kind of like you have these perfect representations of, like, what Asian Americans are supposed to look like. At least that's the media that I grew up with and where I was from. And those narratives weren't shaped by Asians. They were shaped by white people. So when you're saying bad, it's like, we're not playing by your rules. We're making our own rules kind of thing. Yeah, like some people actually, when they hashtag it, they hashtag it wrong and they go badass Asians Mm -hmm. as opposed Mm -hmm. to just bad Asians. Asians. And I think Mm -hmm. the spirit of that is correct. Yeah. Yeah. At least from where we're coming from. Yeah. Mm. 
No, okay. for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I interpreted bad rap, honestly. Just to like, I just wanted to push you because when I saw that, you know, you your documentary kind of unveils how this has been happening for a long mm-hmm. time. Like a lot of people have been opening doors for this for a long time, but no one decided to say anything about it. You know, like why did you name it bad rap? Um, it was a combination of different things. Bad meaning bad meaning good, mm-hmm. not bad meaning bad, which is like kind of like um, it's just just a popular phrase uh, that when when a person say yo that shit is bad, that doesn't <laughs> necessarily like yo that shorty's bad. That doesn't necessarily mean like. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a negative the, thing. It's actually meant to be positive. But another reason why we call it bad rap, it was also a double entendre in the sense that um, if it was rap that is being uh, performed by the Asian Americans, it kind of had a connotation or uh, it, it kind of had like this uh, prejudgment that, yo, it can't be good. Mm-hmm. So that was another reason why we called the film bad rap. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we kind of had the same argument, too. Certain people were like, yo, why can't it be good rap? Mm-hmm. And um, and we had to explain that as well. Mm-hmm. So when I was asking that question to you, it wasn't me, like, saying, yo, what you did was wrong. Oh, I'm just totally. asking the question that. is like, yeah. yo, does that do that or yeah. not? Mm-hmm. Yes or no, that's it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You brought up an interesting point, though, Jojo, about, like, how so many people have done this in the past, right, and just didn't have maybe the, the spotlight to shine or the platform to share that. I think the reason why, and to Jakey, your initial question of, like, why the pivot or why decide to make something bigger than it, it started, what, bigger than when it started there's a critical mass, I think, of, like, really badass Asian-American, like, initiatives happening right now. Like, you're seeing a lot of POC, like, rise up and being more vocal about mm-hmm. what they stand for, about their rights, about their beliefs. And, like, you know, with, what, Asian August, like, you saw a lot of that coming out. Like, this is a really great time for initiatives like Slanted to be out, for 699 to be out. Like, we got lucky. We joke about, like, we rode the wave, like, right when it broke. Yeah. Um, we launched last June. Or, like, not this past June, but last June. And that wasn't that long ago. But, like, all this amazing press around POC stories and Asian Americans were starting to, like, come to the forefront. Celebrities like Constance Wu, Eddie Huang, like, being more vocal than ever about why it's important to have diverse media representation really helped us. Um, And I think we're, like, riding that fuel right now. And right now what my co-founder and I are doing is thinking about how do we make it a sustainable business. Mm. Um, You know, we have, we both have marketing backgrounds, too. A lot of our team actually has marketing backgrounds. And we recognize that, like, you need that, too. Because you can have an amazing product, but if there's no one out there cheering for you, championing you, like, you're not going to, you're not going to break out and actually reach people, like, to help you gain critical mass. Right, right, for sure. So how many issues are you in right now? We just launched issue two. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So what are some of the future plans that you guys have for the magazine? Um, so because we're now a media company, we are going to double down on digital. Okay. Um, which, you know, as a paper lover, I was so worried about. I was like, I want it to be paper only. Um, but it's 2018 and it's just got to change. Like, got to right. get in time with the times. Um, so shout out to my co-founder for pushing me to do digital. But we are going to have digital content in, like, long form. We're also going to do, hopefully, videos. We one day would love to, like, be able to be an umbrella company to host, like, podcasts as well, like, under the slanted umbrella. Um, 
we're also going to be doing in-person programming as well. So, like, the launch party was the first time all of us were in a space together, and there was so, so many great things happening, like all this energy being exchanged, people sharing stories about their own identities, and we want to have events where people can share their stories too and inspire others. So we're going to launch a brand ambassador program um, in four different cities to help bring these events to life across the country. Mm. Um, And that launch party was so fun because you guys also highlighted Asian American business owners or like, you know, Tony from NOMS and um, people who had uh, Boba Guys, the guy who um, runs the Boba Guys in New York City, Edwin, he's the one who told us about this event and it was yeah. just like such a great culmination of like kind of Asian Americans who run it. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean people, we were joking about this earlier, like people talk about how like it's impossible to find like enough Asian American vendors or enough Asian American producers, yeah. whatever. Bullshit. Mm-hmm. They exist. You just gotta find them. Make the effort to go look for them. And the community is super tight knit. Like I just feel like every time I meet someone they're like, I gotta introduce you to five more badass like Asian Americans who are doing cool shit. Mm-hmm. And like easily you could fill a room with like all different Asian American food vendors. Like people... You know, you, we had an Asian American DJ, like everything we had was Asian American. And it was really great to see people who look like us just like being really proud. Well, so the theme of issue two is light and dark. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of give us a sneak peek into maybe a feature that you were really proud of? Oh, that's tight. This yeah. So summer. the latest issue is about light and dark. Yeah, it's called light and dark. Okay. Um, so I mentioned earlier the whole like for us bias yes. situation. Um, so when it was time to pick stories for issue two, uh, we were really picky. Um, we got like 90 plus submissions we were not prepared for. Mm-hmm. Um, but it allowed us to really pick stories that were more provocative, a little edgier. Um, I love like all the stories, but I think, I think two that really two that really hit close to home. Um, One of them was about mental health, specifically about bipolar disorder. Mm. And it's about these two sisters, like navigating the idea of bipolar disorder. So the younger sister, it's a story written by the younger sister. Uh And she talks about her taking care of her older sister who gets diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Mm. And like you talk, you talk, uh, sorry. We talk about um, the ideas of like filial piety and like mm-hmm. the idea of being a collectivist culture, mm-hmm. like we're always there to support each other. It's mm-hmm. not about like, yeah, it's, the, it's not the independent Western culture of like you go out and you be successful. Mm-hmm. It's like you will sacrifice whatever it is you're doing to take care of family, to take care of loved ones. She talks about like moving to DC and spending a year like helping her sister go to therapy and mm-hmm. like taking care of her sister and looking for her when she's like being really self-destructive. Mm-hmm. And it's funny too, you know, she talks about going to a club and they were holding a box of Krispy Kreme donuts and the bouncer was like, there's no food in here. And so they scarfed down the entire box of donuts in front of the bouncer. Wow. So it's like, it's a very interesting story and it's really real and it talks about how like, it never goes away. Like mm. bipolar disorder never goes away. Um, but like there are things you can do to like get through it day by day. And I feel like I didn't want a story that was gonna be like a happy ending resolve. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted stories that were really real and made people think about it too. Yeah. And I think mental health is something that Asian Americans don't like to talk about. Dark Christy. That's dark. Yeah. Um, another one is a really good one is about the political climate. Mm. Um, it's called Letters from the Swamp. Mm-hmm. And it's a series of like journal entries or letters that this author wrote. And it's about her living in DC right after Trump got elected. Mm. So she's an Asian American lawyer. You know, everyone was expecting Obama, not Obama, sorry, Hillary. expecting Hillary to win. Damn, Obama to win again? I would love that. I know. Um, <laughs> we miss I'm him. still with her though, so I get it. Yeah. But she talks about, you, you see like the emotional arc mm. of like 
being really hopeless and in despair, like when Trump gets elected, she talks about being there during Inauguration Day mm. and how the city was like so forlorn. Um, but then you start to see like the emotional arc change mm. where it's she started to see like little pockets of resistance like throughout D.C. Right. And she's like, we came here to make change. Like just because we have a new person in charge doesn't mean that this resistance is going away. And she talks about like coming together as like a whole like a whole city full of like immigrants, a whole city full of transplants. Like most people in D.C. aren't from D.C. Right. And so she talks about being in the subway and like rubbing elbows with people of like all different races and nationalities and religious beliefs. And she talks about like finding her voice as an Asian American, as a person of color. Um, and like anything that she does now means something. She's yeah. like, she was there actually when um, at Dulles Airport where. Um, immigrants were being stopped at the border, basically, like, coming in, and then they were, like, the so Mus- with like, the Muslim ban. Right, right. So she was one of the lawyers that was trying yep. to helping out. Mm-hmm. Like, she just flew back from vacation, and she saw that on the news, and she went back to the airport, and she, like, showed up, and she's a lawyer, and she was like, even if this doesn't do that much, it's helping someone. Like, no action is worse than any action at all, right? Yeah. So, no, 1,000%. I yeah. agree with that. So it w- it's really cool to see it, and she talks about, like, being really inspired by Asian American activists that she had never heard about before. Like, this was kind of like a political awakening, I think, for our community, too. Like, we can't sit and be indifferent anymore and, like, live into that stereotype of being, like, the quiet, Now, now my question is, like, yo, you think when, like, Obama got elected, like, there were some white folks, like, in the South, like, that were fucking crying and in despair? Oh, I'm sure. And they were like, what the fuck? Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) I am 100% sure. The country is very red. Yeah. 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 Right. But Damn. Okay. so I, I like those two a lot. And then you have some like really out there stories about like um, a story about this Asian-American guy who lost a lot of money on a Craigslist scam. Mm. And he needs wow. to make up that money quick. And he answered a Craigslist personal ad. And the personal ad was this mistress. She was mm. like a BDSM like mistress. And he basically signed up to be her houseboy. And the stories about his experience as, like, a houseboy and how that, like, totally fucked with his sexuality and, like, his idea of, like, identity. How much money did he make doing that shit, though? He didn't disclose, um, but he lost quite a bit of money on Craigslist, so he was trying to make it back. Mm. Damn, so he was a house toy? A house boy. House House boy. boy. (laughs) Who was a toy. Slight difference. Could be. You gotta read history to find out. I know. Um, That's juicy stuff. Yeah, so you got a whole mix of stuff, and we have, like, a a small graphic novel. So he's an Asian guy? Mm-hmm. He's an Asian guy, and this BDSM lady was an Asian woman. I think she was white. She was a white Ooh. woman. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah. The politics of that. Damn. It's crazy. The politics of that. Yeah. For real. Mm-hmm. But it, it's yeah, it's it's a whole range of stuff. We have a, a little short comic actually in there as well. It's about um, a Chinese American girl coming out to her mom, mm. and she's she's done it in a comic style way. So it's it's very interesting. I mean, we have a whole range of stuff. It's not just written. It's visual. We got mm. some cool photography in there. That's tight. That's yeah. fire. Um, all right, cool. Sounds good. So where can people get this issue? And like, you know, like... Um, How can we get our hands what on are, it? Yeah, what are some like uh, the, uh, some of the future updates and plans for Slanted? Yeah, so our main uh, channel for communicating all this news is actually our Instagram. Mm. So if you go to Instagram.com slash Slanted Media, no E, um, you can find us there. You so can- Slanted Media as in S-L-A-N-T-D? Mm-hmm. And then okay. media. Got you. Media. Yeah. All right. Um, and that's actually our handle for all social media, so it's pretty easy. Mm. Um, but the magazine, for those who don't live in New York City, you can get it on our website, which is just slanted 
media and you'll see it. It's like the first thing you see on the page. Um, but we're actually sold out of quite a few retail stores in New York City oh, that's as well. What, that's what's up. Yeah, like Casa Magazine. We nice. like to stock at places like MOCA, Museum of Chinese in America. Nice. Asia Society, MOFAC, we love food. Yes. Um, yeah, so you can find us all over and we're trying to expand to other places. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. Nice, nice. So on that note, um, now that you have this magazine venture that you're doing, you're keeping your day job. <laughs> um, just like the rapper Consequence has once said, mm-hmm. always keep your day job. Um, so what does success look like to you now at this point? For Slanted or in general? Not just in general. Yeah, as Christy both. Mack, who's... From you the know, Berkeley L- PwC grad to now. Yeah, about how has success uh, expanded for you? Who Joanne has described as ferocious. <laughs> Uh, JoJo's too kind. Um, honestly, it's going to sound super fucking cheesy, but success is just feeling really happy about what I'm doing at the end of the day. That's mm-hmm. what's up. Yeah. Like, and I'm still fighting for that. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm still trying to figure out, like, being really candid, like, how to make Slanted a bigger thing than it is now. Like, I'm keeping my day job, but, like, how does how do I make Slanted my day job? Yeah. Right. Um, so I'm still fighting for that. And I think, like, the fact is, like, I feel so much fulfillment from what I'm doing with Slanted that it feels like the right path to success. Um, but yeah, I would say that. And then also like having an amazing team around me who also believes in that and it gets mm. excited about that. Like we had personal stories from our teammates talking about how they were not proud to be Asian American prior to Slanted. Mm. And like they were, they joined out of curiosity. Like, wait, wait, hold up. So they weren't proud to be Asian American? Mm-hmm. Not be Like, so. Like they rejected why? Asian culture. Like, yeah. Tell me about, t- yeah. So, uh, that's, that's one thing that I'm always curious about, right? Because I never had identity issues. Like I, I guess so I did think. to a certain to a certain degree, <laughs> but like my uh, issues with identity weren't that vast. Like you know, like I I hear like kids like yo I hate being Asian or like mm. yo I don't like self-hating Asian and shit like yeah. that. The banana and thing like, too. And like when I when I when I hear about shit like that, I'm like yo what the you can't fuck? Relate. Like what kind of upbringing did you have, bro? You know what I mean? Because I I didn't really have those type of issues. I had a very strong uh. Uh, you know the filial piety element that I grew up on is very strong but then Mm -hmm. also I had like my own experiences exploring in New York and finding my own identity yes that is true but just tell me about these Asian Americans that had issues about being Asian American like what kind of like how did they describe themselves like what was their beef why didn't they like to be okay. Asian Americans? So, have you seen that popular YouTube video nah. where it's like Which they're one? comparing NorCal Asians versus SoCal Asians? They, it's like no, the Fung I've Bros. I've never seen it, but I would love so to watch it. So the Fung Bros, they kind of that sounds like something the Fung Bros. Yeah, would yeah. Do. it's yeah. very yeah. Fung Bros. basic, obviously, and you know they have their way of describing things. And they say, hey guys, hey guys, this is <laughs> the well, Fung that's Bros. That's actually so spot on. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, actually, no, no, Jake is the Fung Bros. No, they basically say. NorCal Asians try to be black, and SoCal Asians try to be white. That's kind of the gist of it. What the fuck does that mean? I don't get it. Like, like SoCal so, so what's, girls, okay, like, what's oh the difference God, between yoga. NorCal and like SoCal? Oh God, that could be in a whole episode. I mean, you can watch it on their video. We're like driving traffic to their video. But NorCal, you know, they kind of make it so you know they listen to more hip hop music. Mm-hmm. Where, where's NorCal kind of, geographically? That's LA. No, San Francisco. No, that's San Francisco. Yeah, yeah San Francisco, yeah. San Jose. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's like Oakland. 
is like yeah, yeah. Oakland is yeah, yeah, yeah. Bay Area yeah, yeah. 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 Bay Area so yeah. he kind of compares it to that versus like SoCal it's like the you know the Brentwood babe it's, it's like, like SoCal or like fob, very fobby yeah. in yeah. SoCal okay mm-hmm. so like LA Koreans that live in Koreatown that sounds like a bunch of Mexican cholos that's considered <laughs> white no they well obviously they completely simplify it right okay, okay. of just kind of you know okay uh, there are a lot of Asians who like go for example I went to USC right. who were like oh like we're, I'm a different Asian like I don't hang out with those Asians you know like the token Asians who are in sororities or fraternities oh, yeah. that are I was going to say that's an example of, of like of an someone... Asian American who isn't proud to be Asian American mm. like they surround themselves or they pride themselves around being friends with non-Asians yeah right they don't want to be they don't you know or they get embarrassed about like certain things like bringing certain foods to school right. or like yeah. um, they don't want to participate in like traditional Asian like activities yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that's no definitely I, I definitely know exactly the types right? of people mm-hmm. that you're talking about they would be like oh JK only hangs out with Asians and you're like Motherfucker, you Asian too, though. Yeah. And it's like, you're not going to test, like, a white person if he only hangs out with white exactly. people. Exactly. Yeah. You know so it's like saying? holding yourself to, like, the white standard, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or but it's you know like dating so ironic, Asian people. Those are, the oh, sorry, same those are the same motherfuckers that's waving this flag of Asian representation now. It's all of a sudden, like, yo, like, Who? Asian pride, Asian pride. And I'm like, motherfucker, you was the same one that was calling me out for hanging out with Asians. Like, you wasn't with me shooting in the gym, bro. Well, I mean... I'm not going to defend them, but, like, have they changed? I don't know, honestly. Mm. Maybe we'll find out. Because maybe they changed their tune, right? Maybe they started to see more Asian... That's the thing. Importance, why there's... Importance of diverse media representation is, like, seeing more people that they're proud to identify with. Like, hot Asian men and crazy rich Asians. Totally. Like... We can hold up the whole conversation on masculinity yeah. as well, but we can right. say that for later. No, I had a really good friend who um, grew up in Brentwood, went to Palos Verdes High so School. So tell me a little bit about Brentwood. I have no frame it's of like reference. Brentwood is like that's right by UCLA, Long right? Long Island, like the the rich part of Long Island, kind of thing. Okay. Um, and uh, she Brent, she kind of okay. grew up always being the token Asian girl. Oh, and, okay. And she kind of wanted to date a white guy, and like you know, she only had white friends really. Right, right, right. And. I remember she watched Crazy Rich Asians and she just was crying after and being like, I never knew I needed this. Yeah. I heard that from a lot of people. So it was actually. like therapeutic for her? Yeah, because she's never. And like her friends being like, that was such a good movie. Oh, was that's she, like really cool. Is she Korean American? Cool. No, she's Japanese American. Ja- she's like sixth American. generation Japanese American. Oh, she's American. sixth generation. Yeah. Gotcha. So, and, okay. and the fact that, like, because I kind of always saw her as a lost cause, just like, oh, I love her so much, but, you know, maybe Damn, she you will never. your homegirl lost cause. <laughs> I know, I was like, lost cause. It's kind of. You know, like you I just I called think, so many <laughs> ladies amazing, ferocious, and you're yeah. just like, yo, well, you're a lost cause. Well, Jakey's kind of a lost yo. cause too, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. but you're also ferocious. No, you're not. I'm, I'm a um, lost boy. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yo, can you add that music? Uh, but in terms of like, you know, there's certain friends where because there's certain people that you can really like chop it up with and talk about difficult things with, and but and there's certain people who don't maybe feel ready for that, and I didn't want to. F- have this moral superiority of just like oh I love my Asian self you don't love your Asian self that means you're lower than me like I didn't want that and I knew deep inside that has to like try to care (laughs) about everybody's feelings and shit Um, but so when she really had that breakthrough moment that was like a cue for me to be like oh we can finally have this conversation and Mm. and it just turns out really that that was just something that she needed and I feel like in a different scale I think it really provides that you know who when's the last time I read about mental health in like a magazine or read about like I don't know like a sexual deviance of an Asian man on Craigslist like that's something that you don't see every day yeah word 
Yeah, I mean, uh, mental health is definitely a huge issue in our community. I think uh, in mm -hmm. communities of color, just in general. I think Asian women, Asian American women, have the highest suicide, suicide or rate. depression mm -hmm. rate mm -hmm. in think, the country. Yeah, mm -hmm. and actually, black men as well. I think that's a very uh, like it's not oh, wow. reported as I much. I say it's not reported a lot. But it's mm -hmm. like um, just just the community as a whole, like the type of stories and the personal anecdotes that I hear from some of my like black and Latino friends, like you know, makes my life, which I thought it was relatively, like, full of hardships, very tame. You know what I'm saying? Like, Definitely. And um, I'm not trying to hit out here to try to, like, glorify the uh, negativities of, like, urban youth, as, like, some people would like to call it. Um, it's just, yo, the shit is real out there. You know what it I'm is, saying? and I think and like, empathy is extremely important. And, totally. like, that's why diversity really matters in the shit that we see here and, like, engage with, because... When you see stories of other people who, like, don't look like you, you're like, oh, shit, this is real. Like, this is another life that's being experienced, like, at the same time that my life is being experienced. Mm -hmm. And, like, that really changes you. Like, you know, if you're used to seeing what we talk about privilege, you're used to seeing things in a certain way, that's your reality. Like, your reality is very much shaped by what you see totally. and the stories that you hear. Um, so it's important for, like, you know, podcasts like these, stories like that are featured in Slanted to be out there, to, like, diversify what the hell people are experiencing and to have more empathy with each other. One thousand percent. So on that note, um, was something was like a significant relationship that you've had, and tell us why. It doesn't have to be romantic. Yeah, never romantic. It could be romantic, Great. but. Well, I mentioned it earlier. It's I, the only person I can think of really is my mom, or like mm. the most significant one is my mom. Um, Shout out to moms. Yeah, I know they're the best. Um, I was definitely a huge brat when I was growing up. Like, she. She half jokes about like you were such a headache, like when we were growing up. Like you never wanted to be my friend. Oh. Um, and maybe part of it goes back to like when I was growing up. Like I didn't want to be so affiliated with some of my Asian culture. Like I was still very Asian. So you said you're half Taiwanese. No, you're yeah, I'm half Taiwanese, Taiwanese and, and half, half Thai. Thai. Yeah. Okay, which part of you is Thai? My dad's side. Your dad's side. Yeah. Got you. But I didn't grow up with him. Mm -hmm. Got you. Um, okay. So your identity, you align yourself more so with your Taiwanese side. Mm -hmm. So you speak Mandarin? I speak Mandarin, yeah. Got you. Okay. My mom actually speaks Taiwanese, but she refuses to teach us because that's the uh, language the like adults use when they're talking uh, shit about the kids. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, but I think it's also a generational thing, right? Because I think, I think is, yeah. like up to a certain point, Asian parents didn't want their kids to speak their native language because they wanted them to assimilate into American yeah, society. Whereas like starting somewhere in the 90s to the 2000s you started to realize like being bilingual is actually good yeah, like it's, it's great. beneficial for your asian kid to totally. be respected in the society you know yeah, what I'm it's a perpetual foreigner thing too we're like if i when i go back to asia people know i'm an abc or like right. an american-born chinese um I don't fit in there. I don't fit in here. Where the hell do I fit in? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what? Taiwan Taiwan okay. um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. That's what that. happens when you grow up in the 66. Oh, yeah. No, that's that. Um, yeah. yeah, so my mom's obviously the biggest, most important relationship in my life. Um, shout out to mom. Yeah. yeah, she inspires me a ton. Mm. Uh, she also says that like when, we're, when I was growing up, people would call me mini Olivia or Olivia oh. Jr. Her name is Olivia. Oh, um, so yeah, I, think I feel like Chinese ladies have like the flyest Asian names, yo. Oh, my mom gave herself that name oh, when she wow. got here. It's like <laughs> Olivia, Jade, like Constance. Like, yeah, yeah my you know auntie's like Jasmine. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my mom was inspired by Olivia Newton-John. Oh, and literally in was Greece? Like, wow, yeah, okay. And she was like, I'm going to call myself Olivia. So that's what she goes by. Um, I actually, uh, earlier, 
Marcus was asking me about my last name. It's my last name is Mac, and that's technically my dad's last name. Right. Um, and I have a lot of resentment towards my last name, actually. Like, when I was growing up, I didn't want to change it. My mom kept urging me to change it. She's like, I raised you. Like, mm. you should have my last name. What's your mom's last name? Yen, Y-E-N. Okay. okay. And I was like, no, everyone knows me as Christy Mac, like K-Mac. And now that I'm older, I'm like, why wouldn't I change it? Mm. You know, like, my dad didn't raise me. He refused to, like, pay for anything to help me through college. Like, my mom was the only person who really mm. cared about, like, my upbringing. Um, so, like, I've been meaning to change my name to that. And, you know, maybe TMI, but, like, if I ever get married, I'm not changing my last name to my partner's last mm. name. Like, I'm keeping mine. And so yeah. it only makes sense to take on my mom's last name. Yeah. So for I definitely sure. want to do that soon. Um, Word. Yeah, it's no, like a sign of up. respect. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. Up, yo. Well, there's a, some questions that we ask all of our guests and okay. just kind of to close everything and all the goodness and just wrap it up like a dumpling. Um, what is your personal mantra? My personal mantra is probably the thing that I have tattooed on my arm, actually. Which is? The days are long, but the years are short. Mm, um, I mess with that. I fucks with that. Yeah, like I actually got this. I got inspired by this when I was working at PwC and commuting to my project and being like, this shit sucks, I need to get out. And I didn't know how to get out. Um, but then I was reading like a really cheesy book at the time, The Happiness Project. Oh yeah, I like that oh, book. Oh, that's so cute. I fucks with The Happiness Project. Yeah, and I, you know, there, this line is from that book. Yeah. And I read it and I was like, she's right. Yeah. Like, I can be on the grind every day, but it, that's fine if I love what I'm doing. But like, I'm gonna wake up one day and just be like, where did all that time go? Why am I still doing this job that I really hate? 1000%, Yeah, I agree with you on that. So then I was like, all right, that's what's gonna get me out of here. Um, And then I didn't get the tattoo actually until I moved to New York City. It was my Mm. first summer here. And I was like, I made it, I got here. I'm gonna get this thing commemorated on my body. And of course my mom flipped out, but oh gosh. But whatever, it's my story. mantra. And so I, I think about that all the time. Like it mm. helps me keep in perspective when like I get bogged down by the day-to-day tediousness of like growing a business or I really hate, you know, sometimes my day job. Like to get me through all of that, I like think about that. It's Yo, like, like I agree with you on that so wholeheartedly because you know, you look back on what you've done. You don't look back at like what your day-to-day job mm-hmm. entailed. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. how many reports you've done, how many fucking killer emails you've sent out. A presentation like, that you made. Like, you yeah. don't think about that. You mm-hmm. just think about what accomplishments you've done in the end of that year. Yeah. Like, you just look back and like... Or like how you felt throughout yeah, that year. exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just those milestones that count. It's not necessarily like... Fucking yo, like I just got a bonus for like some stupid little project that right. I did, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I feel like time speeds up the older you get. Maybe that sounds like what an that's old person another person says, thing. but... Right, now that's another thing. It's like when you were in elementary school, you just felt like a day <laughs> went by so slow. I like know. you were just looking at the fucking clock, mm-hmm. waiting for that school bell to ring to get the fuck out of there. So you can go play games. Yeah, yeah. and so you could do other shit. But like when you become an adult, you're just like, yo, how the fuck did 2018 just flew by like that? No, I still think about that all the time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, so... On that note, man, I um, appreciate you for coming through, Christy. JoJo, is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, again, thank you so much for blessing us with your presence. Oh my God. <laughs> I can see why. <laughs> I can see why you have that relationship. No, um, thank you so much for like inviting yeah. me to be part of this. This is fun. No, this yeah, is definitely. Amazing. And um, I mean, Slanted Magazine available on su- certain bookstores, but mostly available on the website, Slanted Media, Instagram. Make sure y'all check that out. Christine Mack, she's a brand strategist as well. We didn't really get to talk a whole lot about her day-to-day, but it's all good. We're going to talk <laughs> about her magazine and everything that else it encompasses. Uh, but yeah, it's another episode of 6.99 per pound podcast. My name is Jakey Cho. 
And yeah, yo, your co-host, you gotta chime in. Oh, Jojo, I literally chimed in. I need to chime out there. Oh, okay. This is your yeah, co-host, sure. Jojo. The sun, the light, mm. you know, the yin. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and we actually have a very special, another special guest who's our team member, uh, Sophia Kwan. She's our uh, beautiful and young and illustrious graphic designer who's been very um, talented. Um, yeah, who's been, um, who's been, uh, you know, utilizing our talent to make our branding. You know, speaking about brand strategies, about our, our branding, uh, thorough. So shout out to Sophia Kwan, who's in here. And also, always, Mr. Marcus, have a pleasure hand for making sure that the sound is righteous. Our producer, Ken, is currently in Germany. Lord knows what the fuck he's doing. Selling, Selling some sort of product, moving some sort of units. Um, and also, um, our co-producer, Julie Young, as well. So thank you guys for all coming through. It's another episode of 699 per pound podcast. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, subscribe to our page on iTunes. And rate. And rate. And write that Get righteous review. Give us that five-star rating, boy. And all right. Ladies. Five for five. Five you know for saying? five. All right, peace. Peace. Hey yo, it's 699 per pound. Podcast.